Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now let us turn to Timothy chapter 3 verses 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Good morning, friends. Uh, my name is Christian Kuhn. I am uh, usually at the South Loop site, <clears throat> and I'm also one of the co-founding pastors of Urban Village. And uh, so I was there, we talked about a birthday uh, earlier, and I was there for the very first service, and I'm grateful to be here with you today in this new space, and I'm um, looking forward to returning hopefully soon. So a couple of years ago, um, a group of us went to, at Urban Village, a group of us went to um, Eastern Germany for on a mission trip. I've been in contact with some uh, German folks, both from the Catholic Church and also the United Methodist Church in recent years, one of whom is a missionary named Barry Sloan, who's doing work in uh, former Eastern, East Germany. And so a group of us uh, went to Chemnitz, which is a city in East Germany. They're trying to start a new uh, church faith community there in Chemnitz. And so we were there and we did a, a kind of a vacation Bible school type thing and a kids fair and other ways to get to know the community. Uh, and um, one day we went from Chemnitz and we spent a day in Dresden. You may know or heard of Dresden bef uh, before in World War II, it was bombed uh, pretty severely uh, by the Allies. And so um, it has been rebuilding ever since that time, and so we took a day to go to Dresden. Now, whenever I go to a new place, uh, I am one to get a tour book or guide of some kind, and I particularly like the ones that tell you, like, here are the 10 things you have to do in this new place if you want to actually get a lot out of the experience. So I'm sometimes guilty of putting my head in the book itself and following the directions of like what to see, and I may miss a little bit of what's going on around me. Others are much more able to just kind of go with the flow and see where the Spirit leads you, and sometimes I wish I was like that, but when it comes to new places, I'm not like that. I like to go with what people tell me to do. So when we went to Dresden, uh, Barry had said, we're going to have a guide to show us around, which I thought is great. 
uh, a guide who knows who knows Dresden, who's going to show us places that we might not experience before. So I was ready to be led by this guide. But as we approached, uh, I thought this maybe be a walking tour, but then we, I realized that this is going to be a different kind of way of getting around the city. And so I've got a couple pictures. So the first picture <clears throat> is this. And so um, this is in Dresden. And my wife and son are in this picture. Actually, they're here today. And you can also see Lynette kind of in the background. Lynette's in the back, uh, goes to UBC Edgewater, and she was also on this mission trip. And so you can begin to see what this contraption was. So if you can go to the next slide, then you can see a bigger picture of what this thing was. So we uh, approach this um, vehicle, and I think many of us were wondering, how does this thing work? Because really what you do is you people sit around on seats and it's like a multi-person bicycle. And so you are pedaling and providing the power, but only one person is steering and guiding this huge thing throughout Dresden. And so there's that temptation as we're all pedaling to want to steer yourself because that's usually what you do when you're on a bicycle, but that's not the case. So all you do is just pedal. You provide the power and the guide is the one who actually is guiding and steering and moving us along the way, which turned out to be great, to be able to have somebody, a guide, who was so full of life and so full of knowledge and so full of energy who can kind of point all the different things out in the city that I was able to see if only otherwise I would have had my head in the book. This way, a guide, someone who knew the way, could point things out and lead us uh, and gave me a new appreciation of a new experience of this great city. I thought about this experience as I thought about this sermon series and particularly about this sermon today. Uh, we're in the sermon series called Where the Wild Things Are. And so we are taking a look at the story of Jesus in the wilderness. Sometimes it's called Jesus in the desert. So we're looking specifically at the story every Sunday in Lent to explore what Jesus was going through um, in this time in his life. He was there for 40 days and for 40 nights, fasted, went without, and that's something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Last week in Odrell talked about the demons, the things that Jesus found and was tempted by <clears throat> in his time there in the wilderness. But also, as we talk about this wilderness and what Jesus experienced, we also want to explore what you and I go through sometimes when we have our own kind of faith wilderness or life wilderness. And that can be challenging. It can stretch us when we feel like we're lost in the wilderness, not sure where we are going. But also, the wilderness can be renewing. That's what it was for Jesus. In addition, I have no doubt that it was challenging, but also renewing. So how can the wilderness be both? A time of being stretched, but also a time of renewal. So I want to explore those things with you during this whole sermon series. Today, I specifically want to talk about something that may have been guiding Jesus himself, that Jesus had a guide with him in this process, though we may have missed it in hearing the scripture today. So it starts off with the tempter, or the devil, who is the one who wants to take Jesus away from his purpose, away from why he is there in the first place. Notice this is in Matthew 4, so this is pretty early on in the scriptures. Jesus has just been baptized. This is a huge event in his life. At the end of chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. There's this voice from the heavens that says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. I have no doubt there was a gospel choir there, perhaps, who was singing songs, and all kinds of people were in awe of what was happening. Truly a mountaintop experience. And the very next thing that happens, the Spirit drives Jesus 
into this time of the wilderness. So this is before Jesus preaches or teaches. This is before Jesus does any healing, before he does any miracle, anything at all. Jesus is spending this time in the wilderness to get centered on who he is and what he is about to do as one who is going to share the good news of the kingdom of God. So he is there. It's been 40 days, no doubt pretty hungry because he's been going without food. And then the tempter is there. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, whenever the devil or tempter is mentioned, this is often one who tries to mislead or to deceive or to take one away from what their core purpose is all about. And that is the case here today, too. The devil, the tempter, wants to take Jesus away from what he is there and what he's about. And he does it in a very understandable way. Jesus, no doubt, was hungry. And so the tempter says, well, if you are all that then take this stone and turn it into a loaf of bread. Again, trying to take Jesus away from what he is about. I've been reading this book called um, An Unlit Absence, right, or sunlight, A Sunlit Absence right now by a man named Martin Baird, who it's a book about contemplative prayer. It's really been throwing my prayer life for a loop in a good way. But one of the things he talks about is sometimes when we are in prayer or sometimes in reflection or meditation, we have what he calls mind trips. And if this has ever happened to you, uh, you're there and you are trying your best to pray or to meditate and you're there and you're trying to be quiet, focus on something perhaps, and then something just kind of pops into your mind. Maybe it's somebody that you just got into an argument with at work. Maybe it was that really good donut that's waiting for you later in the day. Maybe it is a movie that you just saw. There's all kinds of things that are floating around in our heads. And then these little things, we take them and then we let them take us away from why we're there in the first place. Anyone else been led astray by a mind trip before? And so that happens and we said, oh great, I'm gonna start thinking about that donut. And so we start going down that path and we forget, well, actually this is a time to really reflect and get a sense of God's presence in my life. This is what the tempter is doing in this story, trying to take Jesus away, trying to take him down a path that really has nothing to do with what he is about. But Jesus, and this is where we see the guide who is with Jesus, who is helpful for him to help him stay connected to his core purpose. And Jesus says this guide in three simple words. The devil says, turn this stone into bread, and Jesus responds by saying, no, it is written. It is written, meaning Jesus' guide are the scriptures, his holy word, the thing that no doubt he has read and taken in throughout his whole life that he has memorized, that is his heart language. This is the thing that helps Jesus to combat the thing that is trying to take him away from why he's there in the first place. And in this case, Jesus takes the passage from Deuteronomy and says that Verse that we may know, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus uses this guide, the scriptures, to help him stay grounded and centered. Turns out the tempter could play that game too. Did you notice what happens next? So Jesus comes back to the devil and says, it is written. And so <clears throat> the tempter does this. Oh yeah? He uses the same three words. He says, it is written and then quotes another passage from the scriptures, a little bit out of context, but Jesus is not to be swayed. He says in response, once again, it is written. Jesus knows 
who his guide is and goes to that guide so that it will bring him comfort, so that it will bring him strength, and that it will bring him life in the midst of temptation. That is the thing that helps Jesus during this time in the wilderness. Now, can that same thing be true for us in our own times of wilderness? Can the scriptures also be the guide for us today in 2017? I believe it can, but I also know that sometimes the Bible can be a really hard thing to grasp. And our relationship with the Bible may have, um, or may be formulated in different ways. Maybe for you, the Bible is a really nice thing to put on your bookshelf. You don't know exactly where to put it. Do I put it with the novels? Do I put it in nonfiction? Do I put it with the reference? Maybe I want to put it somewhere front and center that somebody will come and say, oh, you read the Bible. Wow, that's very impressive. (laughs) Or maybe you want to hide it somewhere so that if someone sees it, and they'll say, you read the Bible? And so you want to kind of stay away from that too. But really, more than anything else, it's it's a decoration for your bookshelf. Or maybe you have seen the scriptures as something to just plow through, something to just get through. It's like a mountain that you have to scale. You don't really like it. It's like eating your spinach, but you know it's kind of good for you. So I'm just going to make my way through this thing. I'm not really going to pay much attention to what I'm reading, or if I don't understand it, doesn't care, doesn't matter. I'm going to make my way through it, because this is what a good Christian does. And I've been through that phase in my life, particularly when I was younger. When I was about 11 years old, my grandparents gave me a Bible, one of my very first Bibles. This was a translation that was very popular in the 1960s and 70s called The Way. If you flip through The Way, at the front of The Way, there are lots of pictures of hippies playing the guitars, uh, getting groovy with the scriptures, all those kinds of things. And so at the front of the scriptures, if you put the next picture up there, there's a reference guide. And you can see that nice 1970s font there at the top. And then it's got all of, or some of the, or it's all the books of the Bible. And here the picture is just of the first few books uh, of the Old Testament. And you can see there, all of the chapters are numbered in little boxes. So, young Christian Kuhn, when he was 11 years old, in the upper right-hand corner, you can see starting date. And it says February 5th, 1979. And so, this is like, this is what a good Christian does. You read the Bible. And so, I started on my way, and I started Xing all the books of the Bible that I started to read. And I made it through about chapter 18 before I fell by the wayside. And the Bible goes away for two years. So now you can see I cross out February 5th, 19, and I write to start over again, January 11th, 1981. And this time I start shading the boxes to kind of go through it. And I start making my way, and I don't know why, after chapter 35, something happened, that's around the story of Joseph, or something happened, and I'm like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I'm done. And so I stopped at that point, too. I couldn't quite make it. I couldn't quite scale that mountain. And maybe that's how the scriptures are for you, too. And it's understandable. We were noting earlier that we have these free Bibles for you. If you don't have, I know many people have an app, too, but it's also kind of nice to have something solid that you can touch and feel and flip through. And these are free for you if you don't have one. But also, if you look at it, it's like awfully thick, isn't it? 
Yeah, and then in this particular Bible, there are no pictures in there either. And there are some really funny words, and you get hung up on lots of things that don't quite understand. Uh, and you get to points where, like, wow, God doesn't particularly come off terribly well in this particular <laughs> part, too. And that's really hard. It's hard to read the Bible. It's not always easy. Sometimes we think, I want to be uh, somebody who's interested in the, in the path of faith, and so we dive into it, and we're surprised, or it's hard. It can't quite get through it. Maybe that's what the Bible has been like for you, too. Or, maybe the Bible has been used as a weapon against you. This is particularly true for folks who have been a part of Urban Village. I've had many conversations for women, for people of color, for LGBTQ folks, who have had the Bible thrown at them and said, you can't be who you are because this is what the Bible says. And they use it as a weapon in that way. And so I've had these times of coffee with folks, and they look at me with these eyes like, is there some magic verse that you can give me that I can take and hit back my family member or my friend with a verse so I can go at them in this way? And I try to talk to them, well, let's explore what the Bible is and try to interpret it a little bit and get a kind of an overarching message of it. And there's always a look of disappointment because they want that weapon so that they can go back and hit somebody else with it too. And that's how they see the Bible, hitting each other with it. Well, you have this verse, well, I have that verse. And they go at it in that way. Maybe that's what the Bible has been for you too. And so for all of these reasons, for all of these reasons, I can totally get why you want to keep the Bible at a distance because it's confusing, it's hard to get at, it's been used as a weapon, so you just kind of want to leave it over there. How can it be then that this has been a guide, or was a guide for Jesus throughout his life, and particularly in this time of his temptation. How can that be? And can it be a guide for me today in 2017? Well, it's probably not a shocker that I think, yes, it can be. Because, and if you notice what we read in 2 Timothy, what the Word says to us, that this is not a dead text. Did you notice what it says in 2 Timothy? I want to read to you a more, another different translation, not the way, but one called the message. You may be familiar with it. This is 2 Timothy. Now notice what this says, and pay attention to the verbs that are in this passage. 2 Timothy says this, Every part of Scripture is, and I love this way that this is phrased, every part of Scripture is God-breathed. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, sometimes turning a mirror on the ways in which we stray from God. We don't always love God or love neighbor with all that we are. Correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Notice how full of life this passage is. To me, it says that God's word was true for Jesus in the midst of his wilderness, and it is still living and true for us today. Because as God breathed, God is still doing amazing things in the words of the scripture. And we can use that as a guide for us in our own lives. And I know it is challenging at times, especially what's been used against you. But you have to trust others who find life in this that it can ground us and remind us that we are children of God, loved deeply by God. This, is, this message of grace is throughout the scriptures. I believe that's the overarching message of these texts, as challenging as it can be in other places. 
that we are called to use this as a guide for us in our own wilderness, as Jesus did when he found strength and life. And we can do it too. There are treasures there if we will just give it another chance, or a fifth chance, or a tenth chance, or if you waited two years, I'm going to go back at it one more time. There are treasures there for us if we will give it that chance. One of my favorite stories of the Bible comes from a book called Amazing Grace by Kathleen Norris. She wrote this book as a way to take words that uh, religious type people use and try to unpack them or give them a new definition. And so one of the chapters in this book is just simply called Bible. It's a very short chapter. It's only about four paragraphs long. But she talks about this time that she spent with this man named Arlo. And she was living in North Dakota at the time, and she and her husband went to this local steakhouse with Arlo. And she describes Arlo as an old-timer, a tough, self-made man in the classic American sense. And so they're having this conversation with Arlo, and Arlo knew that Kathleen was a spiritual writer, and so that got into the conversation. And so Arlo told them the story about the time that he got married. And he got married, and one of the wedding gifts was given to him by his grandfather. It was one of those big old Bibles. You ever had one of those big old Bibles in your home? This was white leather bound with gold lettering on the front with their names on the front. Probably lots of really wonderful pictures of Jesus in this big old Bible. That's what their wedding gift was. Now, Arla was not a particularly religious man, neither was his wife. So they took this Bible and they put it on their shelf. Now, Arlo's uh, grandfather kept asking him, how do you like that Bible? And at first, Arlo thought this was just being his annoying grandfather, asking him if he was getting more religious. And so they kind of laughed, said, well, we haven't had a chance to open it up yet. And they just let it go, thinking that eventually the grandfather would quit asking them about it. But the grandfather was persistent. He kept saying, so how is that Bible working out for you? And Arlo couldn't understand why his grandfather kept asking him about that Bible. So finally, he goes over, takes that Bible out from the bookshelf and starts opening it up. And he discovers something. He starts Genesis. He opens up the beginning of Genesis. And there is a $20 bill. And he keeps on flipping through Exodus, another $20 bill. Leviticus, 20. Numbers, 20. Deuteronomy, 20. He had put a $20 bill at the beginning of every book of the Bible. That's 66 chapters there, books of the Bible. 20 bucks, he said $1,300. That was a lot of money back then. That's a lot of money now. And the grandfather had a good laugh about that. Perhaps as a way to tell his grandchild, there are treasures in this book that you may not realize. If only you will give it a chance. And I think that's true for us too. Now you may ask a good question, how do I even begin? especially if you're fairly new to the Bible, where do I even begin? I would recommend probably not doing the 11-year-old Christian Kuhn way of doing things, just starting from Genesis. You can, but once you hit Leviticus, things get kind of hard. So especially if you're new to the Bible, there are other ways to do it. One of them, this is a little self-promotion on my part, some of you may have heard of the upper room. If you're new to the Bible, want to learn to read the Bible, the upper room is a great way to do it. It's been published by a part of the United Methodist Church for many, many years. There's a little scripture each day and a reflection written by somebody about that passage. And so you can read it online. You can get it emailed to you. If you're old school, you can get an order. Uh, you may have grown up in a church that had those little upper rooms uh, in the uh, narthex 
uh, in the area. So we have a picture of the most recent. This is the, the latest upper room. So that's the little thing you can read. And actually, on this very day, if you go to the next slide, the writer is myself. There I am. That's right. So you can go online today, March 19th, upper room, and read what I have to say about the passage for today. And people are commenting on what I have to say, too. I checked, so far, no trolls, which I'm glad for uh, at this point. But this is a really wonderful way to begin to open that Bible up and begin to read what it has, might have to say to you. What we encourage you to do at Urban Village, and there are always small groups and Bible studies that we have, and we really encourage you, come talk to me or to Brittany or to other folks, too, if you're curious about how do I even begin to go through this. And we encourage you not only to read it, but to question it and to wrestle with it and be challenged by it, be inspired by it, love it, and then be so angry at it. All of these things. This is what it means to be guided by the scriptures, especially when we feel like we are in the wilderness of our own lives, because we are all there at one time or another. Those times like we don't exactly know where we are going, and we feel and hear the various temptations in our lives that tell us to go away from what our core being is, and that is as a son or daughter, cherished child of God. And this guide can take us back to that place. Friends, there are treasures there in that guide. And it will take us to places that we didn't know possible if we let it. It may seem a little unwieldy at times, but get on that bike and start pedaling away and see where you might be led.